There are innumerable great minds and souls who, by their words, deeds, and writings, contributed to the rich body of herbal knowledge that has been passed down to us. Most of the herbalists who were instrumental in creating and recording this collective system of healing will never receive recognition. Yet we carry the seeds of their knowledge each time we use plants as medicine. So when someone asks me if a particular formula or recipe is my own, I have to smile. What I know about herbs is shared information passed down to me sometimes from people I know well and often from people who lived hundreds of years before me. It is our collective treasure, our birthright, and it is meant to be freely shared. That is a quote from Rosemary Gladstone, one of the grandmothers of herbal medicine. And this is another episode of Well Woman, all about how to create your own women's medicinal garden. Welcome. I thought I would divide this episode into two parts because when I finished recording it, I realized that I had um, so many herbs to talk about. So I've ended up breaking it up into two different episodes. I hope that you really enjoy this and that it's easy to take in the information in smaller episodes. So let's go with our first episode of creating your own medicinal herb garden. Hi, I'm Sue Lindsay, and this is the Well Woman podcast. I've worked with countless women and teenage girls over the years as a natural women's health clinician. And I know how hard it can be to get the help you need to overcome hormonal imbalance, infertility, and perimenopausal symptoms. I bring together my expertise in natural medicine and nutrition with insights from experts in the field of women's wellness to help you get the information you need to make a real difference to your health. This truly unique podcast combines the wisdom of the East with the clinical know-how of modern naturopathy, offering a holistic approach to empower and inspire women just like you on the path to optimized health. I'm your trusted guide as you navigate your hormone healing journey, giving you support, accountability, and guidance along the way. Thanks for listening in, and don't forget to follow or subscribe. It's time to nourish you with Well Woman. I wanted to make this episode fun and talk about how you can grow your own medicines at home whether it's in a garden bed or on a balcony. Honestly, you'd be so surprised at how adaptable medicinal herbs are, how happy they are that you want them there. And they will probably grow just as well on your balcony as they would in a big garden bed. There are obviously some other growing factors, and I'm going to share a few little tips and hacks with you today. But I want you to know that whatever your living arrangement, as long as you've got light, you can have plants. You know, there are also probably lots of medicinal plants which are growing around you in your garden itself. They could be growing right beside the steps to your doorway. They could be growing in local parks or sidewalks, and they will also be beneficial for you and your hormones and your liver and your weight management. So I'll tell you how to go about using those safely too. Did you know that for the past decade, I've been teaching botany wildcrafting, herbal manufacture, along with, of course, theory on women's hormones and things like that. 
So I know all about the herbs that you can grow and use at home. And I have loads of recipes on my website. So please check that out later on if you want to get some inspiration. My blog is at www.herbalwell.com.au. So that's herbal, H-E-R-B-A-L-W-E-L-L, all one word. So in this episode, this is basically your guide to planting your own medicinal garden at home. It's designed, and uh, I guess I've curated the types of herbs here, to truly serve the needs of women from puberty to menopause. So I will give you a few little tips and insights along the way while I'm talking about the different plants that I would recommend that you grow, about why I would recommend that you grow them and why they're so essential for women's health. I'll tell you which herbs to plant, how they can improve your health overall, but more importantly, how they can balance your hormones, how they can satiate your appetite or help you to achieve a healthy weight, how they can revitalize your mind, give you more focus, memory, cognition, how they can deepen your sleep so that when you wake up in the morning, you feel like yourself again. I'll tell you where to buy the most carefully grown organic medicinal plants here in Australia. And it's probably a lot easier than you would think. And I'll even give you a rough idea of what they cost. Um, I've got the web pages here open in front of me. So maybe this could be a great Christmas or birthday present idea for beautiful you. And you'll know exactly what to ask Santa for. So first up, where do you buy your plants? One of the places that I've always bought my plants from is Mudbrick Cottage. And, um, and also I've bought from All Rare Herbs. So these are both located in Queensland, which probably gives you a good idea about the types of environments that these herbs like to grow in. Um, but I do know that there are growers in other parts of Australia as well. There are growers in Victoria, um, Western Australia, of course. So um, it won't be any problem getting hold of medicinal plants. Both Mudrick Pottage and um, All Rare Herbs, they're fantastic. They will stock more medicinal plants than you will ever, ever need. They come very lovingly wrapped up as seedlings, often in wet newspaper or something that keeps them nice and moist and happy while they're in transit. And they will just arrive on your doorstep ready to go into the ground. So you don't really need to travel anywhere to pick your plants up if that's not convenient for you. I want to also assure you that it is perfectly fine to have them posted. They are very small and they are delicate, but they're usually very carefully wrapped. And the prices for your seedling herbs is really affordable. You could be spending anywhere between $6, maybe up to $15 for a really rare or treasured plant, but it's, you know, depends on the plant. Most of them will sit around that $6 to $7.50 mark. This is Australian dollars which is so great, isn't it? It means that if you decided to go ahead and create your beautiful medicinal garden and put 10 herbs in and have that as your staple, because you probably wouldn't need more than that, then it's going to cost you no more than $75 at the most. So all rare herbs, they're based in Mapleton, Mudbrick Cottage is in Southeast Queensland, both in Queensland. It's really important to buy from growers like this. There's a couple of reasons why. So number one, um, and this is actually the most important one, more important than the quality of the plant, it's the identification. A lot of these people who are running these sorts of nurseries, they have been doing it for a very long time. They understand the plants. They know how to identify them and recognize them based on what we call the morphology. So the morphology of, of a plant is the design. It's everything from the look and feel and color and the leaf characteristics, the, the flower 
design, flower characteristics. So these people are really well experienced and educated in identifying the plants. And it means that when you buy them, whatever the label is on the plant, you can rest assured that that's the plant that you're actually buying. Now, the other reason why it's really important is obviously the care that's taken with growing and presenting you with a certified organic seedling so that when it goes into your, um, you know, hopefully organic soil, then you're going to end up with a plant that has the highest and purest profile. Now, you would have to go into something like biodynamics where you wanted to, you know, if you wanted, sorry, to get the most nutritious plants. But at least organic means that you're not getting such heavy exposure to chemicals, fertilizing sprays, herbicides, pesticides, and those sorts of things, which obviously we don't want to introduce into our bodies. That's the whole point of this medicinal garden. It's that you have this control. You're the curator now, you're the artist and, you know, the garden is your canvas and you're creating something very healing and pure that you can put into your body. So organic is important. Identification is probably the most important thing. And that's something that I emphasize with all of my botany students as they come through. The reason really why we study botany in herbal medicine and naturopathy is so that we know how to ID the plants that we're using. So the other thing I wanted to just chat about briefly is wildcrafting, because um, wildcrafting is a way that you can harvest your herbs from wild locations. And a wild location could be your front doorstep. It could be your local parks. It could be just somewhere near to you or somewhere that you go, even by a roadside and country roads sometimes where you can access medicinal herbs. I'd probably have to talk a little bit more about the pros and cons of wildcrafting and also ethical sustainability aspects of it and also whether you're breaching privacy issues and things like that. But um, I'll do that maybe another time. I just wanted to say that if you are actually taking medicinal plants from anywhere that's not your home garden, then that would be deemed as wildcrafting. You generally cannot wildcraft from state forests. And, um, you know, so if it's, if it's an Australian state forest or something like that, you cannot go in there and take any plants out. So obviously, just want to point that out first. But um, in most instances, it won't be, it won't come to that. I mean, a lot of these plants won't grow there anyway. That's not their ideal habitat. They're more likely to be growing at the local reserve where you, your kids play soccer or something like that. Just speaking as a soccer mum, I've spent many, many evenings um, walking around fields, soccer fields, finding medicinal plants. So I find the best way to approach this is to go out with um, some paper bags. And when you find a medicinal plant, you can use a, a photo app usually to identify it, just to make sure that you're, you are looking at what you think you're looking at. So Dandelion, you can use a photo app like Picture This. You can just check that you've actually got the right plant. And if you're happy with that, you want to look for the seeds of the plant. So I guess you could potentially dig the plant out of the soil. I don't know how sustainable that is. It would be preferable to get the seeds of the plant take the seeds home, and then grow it through three generations before you start to use it. You're just being extra cautious because you need to grow it through those three generations to remove the chemicals or the harmful chemicals and herbicides that may have, the plant may have been exposed to. That means that you take those seeds, you put them in the soil, you grow a plant, you take the seeds off that plant, okay, you're done with generation number one, 
you put those new seeds back into the soil, you grow plant number two. So this is now the baby generation, plant number two. Um, and so then you take the seeds from that one and you put that in the ground and that's probably going to be the plant that you keep forever. So the first two generations could be plants that you compost or you put back into the soil. The third one is the one uh, that you use. Or I suppose you could make the argument then that the first two generations may contain those chemicals still, so you might even want to dispose of those. So I always recommend that when you're wildcrafting, just because you don't have total control over what your plants are being exposed to. Now, the soil type is another thing that I will mention. If you go and get yourself a soil that's designed for growing fruits and veggies, you're going to really get fantastic herbs out of that soil. And well draining is really important. So you need a well draining area. And if you have trouble with that, you might think about putting your little medicinal plants into large pots and then just giving them some space under the pots in the garden where they can drain. So maybe filling it with a few rocks, then putting the pot on top of that. The summers in Australia, they're getting really, really hot. So even think about having your garden in a location where on a scorching hot day, you can throw a towel over the top or you can give them some protection. All right, it's time that we start talking about herbs. And I'm also going to talk about harvesting and drying towards the end of this episode for anyone who's interested in that. So let's start with the hormone supporting herbs. Some of the more well-known hormone imbalances are things like having high estrogen, low progesterone, difficulty conceiving, so there might be some infertility. There can also be the hormone imbalances associated with premenstrual syndrome, PMS, you know, whatever type it is. And if you wanted to know more about the different types, have a listen to my other episode on um, premenstrual syndrome and the five different types. There can also be estrogen dominant conditions. So you could have um, a condition such as fibroids or endometriosis. And by the way, it's not just about the hormones themselves. I mean, the hormones getting into imbalance, that's the side effect of something else going on. So when we talk about hormonal conditions, what I've noticed over many, many years in clinical practice is that hormone imbalances are as much about liver function and stress and nervous system um, health as they are about the actual levels of hormones that might be detected in your blood, your saliva, or your urine which is why there's no quick fix for hormone imbalances and the holistic approach tends to give better results because you look at the individual and all of their systems and you find the actual point of weakness that is then leading to hormones becoming imbalanced. So the blood, saliva and urine testing of hormones, by the way, they're, they are the three main ways that we test the levels of your hormones. And to give you a little bit of insight here too, into why you know liver function why stress management so the liver in traditional chinese medicine plays a very important role in the processing of emotions and stress and also is involved of course in hormone detoxification purification that sort of thing and in naturopathy the liver plays a particularly important role in the breakdown of excess hormones and this helps to maintain the natural hormone balance so when the liver becomes dysfunctional or isn't optimal in its performance, then you end up with hormones that become too elevated, sometimes at the expense of other hormones. So we've got this traditional Chinese medicine system, which views liver as a system within itself, so not just an organ, but an actual system, 
which is closely associated with the emotional realm to the individual. Uh, it also provides the blood supply to the uterus. Okay, so processing and cleansing the blood, that sort of thing. And um, in naturopathy, we have the liver, which is working very much as an essential detoxification system for our hormones. So those perspectives are really well established. And the liver in Chinese medicine is considered so vital for things like emotional overwhelm and stress because they affect the liver qi. In other words, they affect the proper functioning of this liver system. So this is why I'm going to give you or suggest to you that the medicinal garden we're working on to improve your hormonal balance is going to contain herbs that work on your liver function and improve how your liver is gently detoxifying your body, making sure that we're removing stagnations and blockages in your liver that can then lead to hormone imbalances, as well as the herbs that are supporting not only your sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone, but also your metabolic hormones like your insulin and regulating your blood glucose level a little bit more efficiently. Incorporating these sorts of herbs into your daily routine, be it as a cup of tea, in your stews and soups, in a latte, or even if you want to get more creative and you want to make your own herbal pills, a herbal honey, a sleep tincture, all of these can contribute to better hormone balance. Just note that if you have a serious hormone condition, home remedies like this usually don't do enough for you. So you would want to see a therapist such as myself, a naturopath, a herbalist, a nutritionist, so that you can really get to work on the root causes with more serious supplementation and herbal doses. The first herb for healthy hormones is one of my all-time favorites, dandelion. Dandelion uh, botanically is called Taraxacum officinal. So this is a herb that will pretty much grow anywhere, even in cracks in concrete. It's an incredibly robust herb, which means that you don't have to be a green thumb to be able to grow dandelion. But you do want some well-draining soil and you want enough access to sunlight, but you don't want to burn your plant too much either. I've found that dandelion has been very resilient in my garden. I've had it in areas of the garden which get a lot of sunlight. I have it also on balconies where it doesn't get a lot of sunlight. And I have a reason for doing this. So I have different plots of dandelion if you like. And the reason is that you can use all the parts of the plant. You can use the roots of the plant to improve your hormone health and your liver function, but you can also use the leaves of the plant. And that's really handy when you're retaining excess fluid. So things like that first, um, sorry, that last trimester of pregnancy where women will generally hold on to a lot of fluid. Dandelion leaf tea can be very helpful here. And if you're trying to lose weight as well, it's really useful in weight loss. But you can also use the flowers. So depending on where you grow it, if you give it more light, it's probably going to produce more flowers for you. This means that you're likely to get more seeds, more dandelion fruit, basically, uh, more seeds that you can then keep growing. If you grow it in an area which has a little bit of a mix, so you've got maybe dappled light, maybe you've got afternoon sunshine, but shade in the morning and the late afternoon, that's going to produce more leaves for you. Now for hormone balance, I would suggest that you grow it more in the sunlight because you'll get a bigger root system. 
Um, you want more development of that root system and you probably are going to harvest it in the winter time. Because you're harvesting the roots, it means that you want to have more than one plant. So you might need to have a little batch of dandelion plants. And in the winter, you'll be pulling them out of the ground, chopping up the roots, putting them into your dehydrating machine or your oven at the lowest temperature, and then storing them in a glass jar for future use. So dandelion has a wonderful ability to detoxify the body. And remember that we help to achieve our healthy hormone status by supporting our liver. It's bitter, it's cleansing. The root system is more specific for liver cleansing. So that's going to be more useful for hormone balance. But if you're thinking of losing weight, then you would also really get a lot of benefit from drinking the leaves. The other herb that I love for healthy hormones is stinging nettle. This one you have to be careful of if you're growing it because it can sting you. And if you do have little, little people around you, you have to warn them about the nettle. They don't just go and grab the nettle because it has these little trichomes on all of the leaves and stems. And those trichomes are full of, um, they're basically like, uh, like neurotransmitters, histamine, serotonin. So they will cause a little bit of pain and swelling and it's not really much fun when you get stung by nettle. It's one of those herbs that I think of as a green multivitamin. So it's helping with the hormones by way of nourishing your body. Now there's also motherwort. Motherwort can be a very useful herb to grow in the garden. It doesn't take up too much space. It's um, a typical, you know, easy growing herbaceous plant, produces pretty flowers and nice leaves. So it's one of those herbs that's going to look really pretty in your garden. And in fact, nettle and motherwort, you know, they could potentially look a little bit similar. They're different plant families, but they have similar types of leaves. So motherwort is wonderful if you experience any period cramping, any period pain, as well as nervous tension that comes along usually with PMS. It's really helpful also if your menstrual cycles get delayed and your period isn't coming in, it can get the process moving along more fluidly so that you can have more regular cycles. It's very good in perimenopause as well as menopause. So if you are in your 40s and 50s onwards, motherwort is a very good herb for you, partly because it has an affinity with the cardiovascular system. So it's not only helping you with maybe periods that are taking too long to come in, um, or maybe the anxious tension that can come with PMS. And sometimes this, you know, PMS will still stick around for women when they've finished menstruating. They'll still get the odd symptom here and there. But it also has that affinity with cardiovascular system and our risk for cardiovascular disease increases as we move into perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. Another herb that I love for hormones is calendula. Calendula will be a source of food, a source of herb healing, a source of beauty, um, a source of infused oils for you, creams, salves. You know, if you enjoy experimenting in your kitchen, it really is one of the staples for the home herbalist. Calendula flowers are actually inflorescences and they look like daisies. They come in all different colors, but the medicinal one is usually orange. So you can use calendula to bring on the periods. It helps to get that regularity with the periods. Or sometimes if you're wanting your bleed to come a little bit more quickly, you can use calendula for this. 
This also means, by the way, that you can't use calendula in pregnancy, so just be aware of that. It cleanses the lymphatic system. So here's a really, really uh, wonderful aspect of calendula for all women because we need to routinely examine our breasts, you know, and our lymph nodes around our breasts and those sorts of things. So calendula is a herb that you can drink as a daily tea or a daily lymphatic system tonic to help the lymph to move so that you don't get stagnations and congestions in your lymph nodes, which can be really uncomfortable and painful and bumpy. You could even, um, I think this would be a great idea to um, use your calendula flowers or inflorescences and use the petals to make an infused oil and use that infused oil when you do your breast examinations or even use it as a cleansing oil in the shower while you're doing a breast examination. And just gently massaging it over those lymph nodes and around the breasts would be a wonderful way to support your skin health, your lymphatic health by getting the circulation going and obviously looking after yourself and, and checking in with your breasts and making sure that they're okay. If you wanted to make a um, beautiful lymphatic cleansing tea, you can use calendula combined with peppermint. They work really nicely together. And you can also grow another herb, which I'll talk about later, called mullein. And mullein is a wonderful lymphatic cleanser as well. So that combination, calendula, peppermint, and mullein, makes a really beautiful tea that you can use to support your lymphatic system health. Then there is dong kwai. So dong kwai is one of the classic herbs in traditional Chinese medicine for women. Very, very classic herb. And in most formulas for women. Its botanical name is Angelica sinensis. I know there's different species of Angelica that we use in herbal medicine. For instance, in naturopathy, we use Angelica archangelica. So that's a different plant. This one here, the Dong Kwai, is particularly useful for improving the flow of blood through the uterus, which is so central to women's hormone health and period health. If you've got any issues with your period, if the blood's too dark, if the blood is uh, flowing too quickly, if you're getting cramping, clots, all of these things relate to uterine health. And Dong Kwai is one of the herbs that helps the blood to move more freely through the uterus. And you can even combine it with ginger. So wonderful for period cramping in that respect. The other thing that it's really good for is if you are a teenage girl or if you have teenage girls, um, they have this transitional phase that they move through from the teenage years where the cycles are a little bit more erratic and there's obviously a lot more hormonal activity going on here. And they're transitioning from that stage into the more established regular cycles of the 20s. So Don Kwai becomes a very useful herb to get the teenage girls moving, moving more easily into that established um, cycle you know, of the, of the 20s. Can be useful just for that transitional period. I'll finish off with one more herb, licorice. Now licorice, it's not necessarily a liver detoxifying herb. I mean, not all of them have been. Calendula isn't necessarily, Don Kwai isn't necessarily, um, although it does help with the flow of blood. Now, licorice helps because it works on your blood glucose levels to help regulate them more. And this means that you eventually get better insulin sensitivity. Now, this is why licorice is such a fundamental herb that's used in conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's not used on its own, but it's used in combinations to support that insulin sensitivity and to work on insulin resistance and the symptoms that come with that. 
such as weight gain, uh, fatigue, and um, skin problems like acne. So licorice can help with all of those things. If you do have fatigue, if you have skin acne, it's a wonderful herb for those as well. It also works on the adrenal system as a tonic. And for many of us as women, you know, we're in this very masculine dominated world. Even if we are, you know, moving around in our feminine dresses and we're enjoying our feminine and loving it, at some point we find ourselves in this world where we have to step into our yang and our masculine really strongly just to be able to compete and to survive sometimes. So our adrenals really do work hard for us. And by the time we hit perimenopause and menopause, our adrenals are shaping up to take over the bulk of our estrogen production. So this means that unlike men, women really have to nurture their adrenal system so that it's there for them in the mid to late 40s and beyond that. Otherwise, we run into problems with not having enough of that estrogen production occurring. So licorice, I love it um, in many different ways. In fact, I am drinking a tea of licorice root right now because I find that it kind of settles my throat before I need to talk for a long time. So I will often make a licorice root tea also for my son whenever he has a sore throat, uh, combining it with marshmallow root and a little bit of honey. Licorice makes a great syrup as well. You can use licorice in a whole variety of herbal preparations from lotions to creams to gels. There's just so much fun you can have with licorice. Bear in mind that you're using the root of the plant. So at some point you're going to have to pull it out of the ground. So it's just worth remembering that in case you don't want to do that. And if you want an option for another herb where you don't have to do that, you might want to get hold of some goat's rue. Goat's rue is the herb that metformin, the drug, was based on. It contains an alkaloid called galogene. And this alkaloid was the basis for the um, metformin drug. So goat's rue is actually a delicious tea. It's very pretty. It's from the Fabaceae family, which means just like licorice, it's going to give you beautiful leaves, leaves structures, and pretty little flowers. Um, with goat's rue, they're kind of pinkish. So, you know, maybe goat's rue is the herb for you, actually, because you'll be using the leaves and the flowers rather than the root system, which means you can keep growing it year after year. Next up, let's talk about the herbs that can help you sleep because sleep is so profoundly important to our health, our functioning, our ability to focus and concentrate when we're working through the day, our ability to get out of bed, actually, first thing in the morning, our ability to be able to perform at optimal levels physically and physiologically. And it gives us that time for recovery, of course, throughout the night. So I'm just going to mention a few herbs here, and these are really my all-time favorites, and they're the ones that I've grown in my garden year after year. So number one is lemon balm. What I love about lemon balm is that it also feeds the birds, and I'm really, really happy when I see my medicinal plants growing in areas where I didn't plant them because I know that the birds have been carrying them or the birds have been nibbling on them, and then they've taken the seeds somewhere else. So it's a nice way to create your own little ecosystem and support the nature that lives around you. Of course, lemon balm, uh, Melissa officinalis is its actual botanical name. And uh, Melissa means the honeybee. So it has this affinity with bees. And of course, who wouldn't want to support the bee populations at the moment? 
Lemon balm is one of the more sedating herbs. You use the leaves, so it grows really quickly, easy to harvest. You can put those leaves, fresh or dried, into your teas and have them as a daily tonic. For naturopaths who work a lot with chronic stress, overwhelm, and anxiety, we tend to not just give these sedating herbs in the evening, we will give them in the morning as well. So something like waking up in the morning, having a cup of lemon balm tea ready to go, a little bit of a squeeze of lemon, you kind of drink that to wake your body up and cleanse your system. It will wake up your liver, sour taste, you know, liver loves the sour taste. And lemon balm will just keep you calm. It stops the nervous system from burning out too much through the day. So it's a really nice way to support your stress resilience by having a cup of lemon balm tea in the morning. Then there is skullcap. So lemon balm and skullcap belong to the same plant family. So they actually look really similar, except that lemon balm has very wide and slightly, it has what we call a serrated margin or edge to the leaf, but the serrations are quite cute. They're like little doily serrations. So they're a bit round. Whereas with skullcap, they're quite sharp. Skullcap is even more sedating. So you can think about lemon balm as a grade four out of five. And Skullcap is a grade five out of five, so it can be very strong. And that would be the one that I would bring in in the evening. So you could have Lemon Balm in the morning, Skullcap in the evenings. And by the way, um, Skullcap produces the prettiest flowers. It's one of the, the really nicest looking herbs that I've ever grown. I always have it in a pot separate to the other plants. It's sort of like a treasured herb. And uh, it just comes back every year. Year after year, it comes back. And I absolutely love, um, love growing skullcap. Now for chamomile, which is another one of my top three. So these are my top three, lemon balm, skullcap, chamomile. With herbalism, you don't just throw all the herbs in. You look at what, which herbs are going to work really well together. So you wouldn't just make a tea with all of them. You would do lemon balm, maybe lemon balm with chamomile. I'm going to talk about chamomile now. Skullcap is quite strong, so you might combine it with other herbs that are not necessarily sedating herbs. So let's talk about chamomile now. Chamomile is in my top three of the sleeping herbs or calming herbs. The other two, of course, number one, lemon balm, number two, skullcap. The reason why chamomile is not sitting at number one, even though I use it so frequently, is because I find it less easy to grow. So if I was to suggest the herbs to you for a medicinal garden that were going to be more resilient and more tough and hardy, I would probably say go with the lemon balm and then go with the skullcap because they're the types of plants that you water every now and then, but you pretty much leave them to do their thing and they're always there for you. Chamomile, I found it just needs more light. So that kind of makes it more difficult for me to grow because I don't get a huge amount of light in my garden. The other reason, I guess, is chamomile is a little bit more heating than the lemon balm and the skullcap. So another indication of a plant's heating nature or warming qualities is the type of environment that it likes to grow in. Chamomile does need a lot of light. It needs the heat. Lemon balm and skullcap are really happy just to flourish in your shady garden. So I, you know, they might not flower as much, but they'll definitely leaf a lot for you. So I think for me, you know, late 40s, perimenopause, moving into menopause, my internal landscape is becoming more dry, more hot, or at least more warm at this stage. I haven't really got the, the hot, hot symptoms yet of, um, of late perimenopause. So I think that 
if you're a woman, you know, similar to me and you're mid 40s, or even if you're above mid 40s, let's say, you might find that the cooling herbs are better for you because they retain that natural temperature balance for you internally. But anyway, chamomile, it's such a wonderful healing herb in its own right. And it is definitely one of the more popular herbs. When you talk to herbalists, everybody knows about chamomile. I mean, you find it in your supermarkets. You often see it in pictures when herbs are being talked about. So if you're reading a blog about herbal teas, you'll probably see a cup of chamomile tea there. It really is the quintessential herbal tea. Now, why chamomile is so useful for us is it's very rich in the minerals that help us to sleep, like magnesium. It's a really nice blend of calcium and magnesium, but it also is very calming to the nervous system and very calming to the digestive system. And when you look at the, the qualities of our bodies and how we manifest symptoms and dis-ease and you know, a lot of this really relates back to how we're managing and processing what's happening around us. Not only the food we eat, but the stresses that we're exposed to, the chemicals we're exposed to, everything needs to get processed in our bodies. And we often think that stress is not having an impact on our physiology, but you talk to somebody who suffers from irritable bowel syndrome or adrenal exhaustion or any of the premenstrual syndrome subtypes, and they will attest to the fact that physiological symptoms can be a direct result of psychological stress. So chamomile is helping us on many levels to be able to manage the various stresses that are impacting our body systems, our liver, our digestive system, our brains, our mood systems, and those sorts of things, neurochemical balance. I find it really, really good as a general calming herb which means that it's going to blend really nicely with the lemon balm. And it's also going to blend really nicely with the skull cap because it's not at their level of sedation. It's the gentler of the three, but it's going to give a really rounded balance to them. It's also going to support the stomach. Now the stomach in Chinese medicine is conceptualized a little bit differently to what we think of as the stomach, but in the traditional Chinese medicine model, the stomach is where a lot of that processing happens. It's the same in Ayurveda, um, so not 100% in the way that they conceptualize these concepts, by the way. But it's the same idea of the digestive fire in Ayurveda and processing everything that's coming into our bodies and making sense of things. When we think about things a lot, when we run things over and over in our mind, we're also running them over in our stomachs because we're processing them in a way. We tend to worry a lot and the emotion of worry will directly affect that stomach system that um, I'm referring to in Chinese medicine. But I'll also say that as a naturopath and having worked with many kids, that I've noticed that the worry and the anxiety will go to their stomachs as well. So they will develop symptoms like reflux and hiccups, you know, is a really key one stomach nausea or an unsettled stomach and sometimes stomach pain. So I always look for, you know, is there any sign of chronic stress or overwhelm occurring in these children that are developing these stomach symptoms? So chamomile, beautiful herb for balancing, nice and calming, not too sedating, really good before bed as well as through the day. And whatever mix you're putting it into, it brings a little bit of nervous system support to that mix. So it's like the, the herb that you can add into every other formula 
just to give a little bit of extra support. Think about it also for people with um, weak digestion. So if you find that you get bloating really easily after you eat, if you are worrying a lot, if you have things going on, and a lot of us do, if you find that you're running thoughts over and over in your head, and if you feel overwhelmed, then chamomile is a really lovely support for you. There's a few more herbs that I'd like to mention in terms of nervous system support. And uh, I won't go into as much detail about these, but I think that you'll love some of them. So number one is valerian root. Valerian is, again, beautiful plant to grow in a medicinal garden. gets very tall. Um, my valerian grows to almost a meter tall, and that's considering that there's not heaps and heaps of light in my garden. So I imagine if you've got a garden with lots of light, valerian will really flourish in your garden. It produces the prettiest flowers. Um, little clusters of flowers and the bees love it as well the actual root itself smells a bit like a wet sock and it's purported to be the herb that was carried in the bag of the pied piper of hamlin in that sort of children's fairy tale if you're familiar with that one it does attract the uh, the rodents apparently i have never really found that in my garden to be honest i find that the rodents like the dandelion more <laughs> We have bush rats up here. So yeah, pretty, pretty big, big rats. Anyway, the valerian root is the type of herb that you can harvest the root every winter. If you want to, you've got to give it a few years to grow though. So grow it for three years or four years and then pull the plant out, harvest the roots. Unfortunately, I'm not sure what you can do with the leaves and the flowers. I'm sure that many herbalists will have tips for you on that. Maybe I would just say use it as compost back into the soil and of course keep the seeds because you want to keep growing more plants. So you can dry this root, putting it into your oven on a tray at about 45 to 50 degrees, leave the door open or ajar so that it doesn't actually cook and you just want to get it to a crispy dry state. And you can use this in your baths, it's very sedating in baths. You can, yes, cook it into teas, I probably would do it as a latte. So I would cook the root, like chop it up nice and small and cook it into milk and maybe even cook it into a bit of hot water first so that you get a better extraction and then add the milk. The milk would be about three quarters of your final drink. And then I would add some cacao. I think this is a really nice way to use valerian to calm you down because you get the sedating qualities of milk, whatever milk that you like to drink. You get the valerian, but you're adding the cacao and some honey because valerian's not great tasting. So you might need to just make this into a hot valerian cocoa that you have in winter evenings. Now, the next one is ashwagandha. Ashwagandha, again, is a plant where we use the root system. You'll be surprised um, perhaps to know that ashwagandha is a very prolific fruiter. So you'll get lots of seeds that you can use to grow future generations. So once you get your first ashwagandha plant, and sometimes in naturopathy, we will call it withania somnifera, so slightly different name there. It's actually the, the Latin botanical name for the plant. Um, so basically, during winter, again, when you pull out the roots, you can chop down your ashwagandha root, and you can use that exactly the same way. So make yourself a beautiful ashwagandha cocoa over the winter. Like valerian root, it has calming qualities. Ashwagandha, if you're really, really wired and tense, is probably not the herb for you, similar to valerian. If you're really wired and your brain won't stop, you're better off going for herbs like lemon balm, skullcap, and chamomile, 
you may have been one of those people who's had ashwagandha or valerian root and you've had this what we call an adverse reaction to it where it's made you even more mindy so ashwagandha is very nice for women as well um, very good for women's healthy hormone balance fertility men's fertility also and it's a wonderful anti-aging herbs full of alkaloids also will boost your mood in many cases so there's lots of reasons why you could enjoy a valerian or ashwagandha hot cacao the last herb is tulsi you can also just grow your grow your simple culinary basil so basil and tulsi are really good for adrenal health and stress resilience they can help to calm down your stress symptoms wonderful thing about both of these is yes you can make a beautiful herbal tea you can combine them in your foods so you can chop up your tulsi or your basil and add them to your foods tulsi is the indian herb holy basil and it has very similar qualities to our culinary basil but it is a very sacred herb so i, I know that some people don't uh, some systems actually won't even use it because uh, there is the tulsi goddess the tulasi goddess that you might find differing opinions around the use of tulsi we definitely do use it though in western herbal medicine use it also in ayurvedic herbal medicine or indian herbal medicine as a wonderful tonic for the adrenal system Hey everybody, please know that the information, opinion and advice provided in this podcast are not intended to replace professional medical care. They are for general information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may not always be those of the host. Thanks for listening.